The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at karm.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. You're listening to Matt Slick Live. If you want, you can give me a call. All you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. Whew, we have five open lines. All right, now, okay. So I'm going to let you know that the PayPal thing, uh, you know, we, we have PayPal on CARM. We're going to be getting rid of PayPal here pretty quickly. We're in the process of, of going through the change. And um, I know a lot of people don't want to support PayPal, and I agree. We don't want to support them. And we are going to be moving. Uh, we, uh, I've, set, I've put in all the paperwork, done all the stuff necessary that I'm, I think I'm caught up. And uh, we'll be off. Now, tonight also, uh, yeah, I'm in the stack. I'm in the stack. Uh there we go, test. Let's see. Should be working. Everything should be fine. So uh, tonight, at in two hours from now, that'll be 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm going to be hosting a conference, a seminar, with uh, Vern Poitras, uh, Brent Bosserman, Eli Ayala, and myself. We're going to be discussing the doctrine of the Trinity and how it explains everything. We're going to be going through a lot of stuff in depth. So we sent out an email a while back, and a lot of people uh, clicked on the email link to uh, check it out. But not that many signed up, but we think it's because of the PayPal issue. We set something up today, and Luke Wayne and I worked on it, and hopefully it'll work. So what I'm, uh, what I'm saying is that if you want to sign up uh, it costs ten dollars you want to sign up and be able to watch maybe ask questions we don't know if we'll get everybody's questions we do have a lot of signups though uh, you can just go to patreon.com uh, forward slash karm org c-a-r-m-o-r-g so patreon karm org and there should be an option there to sign up uh, for the seminar ten dollars and then it should work so just letting you know that we haven't tested it yet, but it looks like everything is fine and everything's in place, so uh, you have options there to check it out, and it does not go into PayPal. You have your uh, ability to set up whatever you want. You can set up a recurring thing. That's how it is set up, and you can stop at any time. But our plan is to do one of these seminars each month and have some experts come in on varying topics. Uh, we're going to be enjoying it. I will be enjoying it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, that, that's what it is. And I put the information out on Facebook, uh, CARM Facebook, and CARM on Twitter. So uh, uh, I think uh, I think um, Luke is going to be sending out an email about it to uh, thousands of people. You know, we're just scrambling here. We <laughs> it's, it's a good scramble, though, you know. Like in football, you know, you scramble, get it done. And so uh, plans change, and uh, we modify and, and things. And... And it took a few hours to get everything set up. We worked on that, and just now did before uh, before the radio show. So there you go. All right. If you want to give me a call, uh, five, uh, four open lines, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. All right. Let's get on the air with uh, Elijah from Pennsylvania. Elijah, welcome. 
You are on the air. Hey, Matt. Uh, I have a interesting topic to uh, talk to you about today. Uh, All right. So, have you have you ever heard of this uh, objection that one people like to bring up? Uh, 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 I've, I've heard one of them say that First John two one in the Greek for for advocate it, it uh, calls Jesus the Paracleton. And they say that in the early church fathers, early church fathers always called the Holy Spirit the paraclete. So I guess their argument is that uh, a scripture is identifying Jesus as the Holy Spirit. But uh, when I, you know, digged in a little deeper, uh, I, I realized that they really don't know what they're talking about. And, and I actually had my own explanation to give them if, if they would ever ask me this question. But, uh, but uh, uh, how would you respond to this objection? Well, um, words mean what they mean in context, and different words, or the same word, can be used of different individuals. I'm a man, you're a man, my friend is a man, and it doesn't mean we're all the same man. So words mean what they mean in context, and the word there in First John 2, 1 is paracleton. So it does come from paraclete, which is uh, used in John fourteen sixteen and fourteen twenty six and fifteen twenty six, and the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. So both the Father and, the, oh, excuse me, uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are called the, the helper, the, the advocate. So that doesn't mean that they're the same person because they have differences of attributes and stuff. So uh, that argument is a very, very weak argument. Just because the same word is used of different doesn't mean that they are the same person. That's all. Simple logic. Yeah, and uh, also... Uh, 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 what, what I would say to them is that I'm looking at Strong's lexicon on Bible Hub, and for advocate, uh, it says uh, intercessor, uh, consoler, comforter, helper, helper. And then when you go to uh, John 14, 16, uh, Jesus said here uh, he will send another uh, advocate, and uh, another uh, in the Greek is uh, uh, alon, which means uh, another more than two different and then and then for advocate it's the same word that's used as jesus at first john 2 1 versus intercessor uh comforter helper so so, so I, I i think jesus is making a distinction saying that right. he he's an advocate and, and a helper and, and and also the holy spirit is an advocate and a helper and an intercessor and just intercessor just like he is well he's a helper and an advocate yes um and so uh, just so you know, in John fourteen sixteen, when it says another, it's the Greek word alas, uh, or alon, but it's cognate of alas, and it means another of the same kind. And where heteros means another of a different kind. So heterosexual, okay. But uh, alas, so that's all he's saying, is another of the same kind. And what he's designating is, I will send you another one like me. He's not saying, I will send you me. So if, if, if you're to look at these verses, you'll see how the oneness people misuse stuff all the time because they read into the text. And notice what's going on in John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father. Now, who's the, asking that? It's Jesus. Now, I asked the oneness people, is Jesus a person? Well, they have to say yes. Then who's he uh, praying to or who's he talking about? 
Is he talking about himself, who's a person, the Father? But is the Father the same one? Then why does he speak to the Father? Because if you want to say that the human nature is speaking to the divine nature, then you're saying Jesus, who has two natures as a person, you can't divide up the natures. It just becomes a very big problem for them. But anyway, so I'm just saying that there's that. When you go to 1 John 2, 1, uh, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, ad, the righteous. He's just using the word as, a, as an intercessor helper, advocate that we have. It's not a big deal. Okay? Yeah. Sorry, are you um, there? Okay. Uh, the, doesn't mean they're the same person. Um, Remember that. Here, look, let me help you out. The oneness people, which are not Christian, oneness theology is not Christian, okay? I just want people to know that. It teaches that there is no trinity and that there's only one person in the Godhead who takes different forms or manifestations. Now, if Jesus is a person, that means he has the attributes of self-awareness, awareness of others, etc. That's what personhood is. They even agree that Jesus has two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature, as one person. Not two persons. That would be... Um, Nestorianism. So, if he's one person, then he's a person with two distinct natures. Then who's he praying to? If they say he's praying to himself, then why does the Father speak to the Son and about the Son? And why does the Son, Jesus, speak and pray to the Father and distinguish separate wills? John uh, in Luke uh, 22, 42, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is praying to the Father. If Jesus is a person, he says, not my will, then he's saying, as a person, he has one will. And therefore, he's praying to someone else with a different will. So this negates the idea of oneness being true. Right there, it proves their position false. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, Um. so... Uh they, they they like to use the argument that that uh, that uh, it was uh, Jesus's uh, uh, fleshly nature uh, praying to the uh, divine nature. Right. How would you uh, respond to that? I just did. Let me go over it again. If the flesh is praying to the divine, that's a problem. You ask them, is Jesus a single person? They're going to have to say yes, because he's one person. They also agree that Jesus has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. But he, the attributes of both natures are in the one person. Jesus says, I am thirsty, uh, I'll be with you always. The one person, you ask him, is he, is he one person? Okay, yes he is. How do you know he's one person? Because he, he says, me, mine, you, yours, my will, your will. So he's different. Is he the same person as Peter? Well, no, because they, they're different and they speak to each other. Okay, great. So when Jesus is speaking as a person to the Father, are you then saying the flesh is its own person? Because if that's the case, now you're saying that the person of the flesh is praying to the person of the divine. And that's two persons. But you're saying that the flesh then is not divine, right? So then, if only the human nature is praying to the divine nature, then how is he one person with the attributes of one person? Because they're teaching that there's, he's two persons, that Jesus is two persons, a divine person and a human person, but he's not. He's one person, and you get them to admit, to begin with. 
Is he one person? Yes, he is. As soon as they say that, they're done. You just got to work through the logic. Are you saying then that the human person is praying to the divine person? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. Well, the human nature. Is it human nature have a personhood? Well, yes. Well, then why is the human person praying to the divine person? How is that a true incarnation? And then you have the doctrine of the communicatio idiomatum and get into stuff. Okay? Stuff yeah, like that. Okay, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Um, so, I've seen your debates with uh, oneness and, and uh, Unitarians, and uh, you bring up uh, to them that uh, since, since they don't believe that uh, Jesus, when he died on the cross, uh, had his divine nature, then therefore they don't, they're, uh, uh, they don't have a, a divine nature uh, sacrifice, which means uh, right. they're they're in a state of uh, damnation. So, uh, what, what if what what if a oneness person would say that they agree with you that uh, Jesus uh, did have his divine nature when he died on the cross? Uh, would would a oneness person then uh, be saved uh, if they <coughs> believe that Jesus uh, did have the divine nature well, when he died on the cross? Well, let's let's work back up. Because this is a question I ask of Christians as well. I'm going to use this opportunity to teach some theology. We've got a break coming up, but this is important for people to understand. Jesus has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. This is called the hypostatic union. It's old theology. It's been taught for, you know, 2,000 years. That's what it is. He's both God and man. The Bible teaches it. So the question is, which nature died on the cross? Well, obviously, only the, the human nature. Then the question is, if only the human nature died on the cross, then how is a sacrifice of divine value? That's the question. When we get back from the break, I'll explain, I'll give you the answer, and I'll tie it into why oneness fails. Okay? So hold on. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. And uh, let's see, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Let's get back on with Elijah from Pennsylvania. You still there? Yep, I'm still here. All right. So as I was saying, this is all theology that undergirds the issue of, of why oneness cannot work and does not work as a false gospel. And so if only the human nature of Jesus died on the cross, then how is the sacrifice of divine value? The answer lies in the teaching of the communicatio idiomatum, or the communication of the properties. And what that means is that, the, uh, that Jesus has two natures, divine and human. The divine and the human natures each have attributes or properties or characteristics. And Jesus, as the one person, uh, claimed the attributes of both natures. So he said, I am thirsty. Well, he's claiming the attributes of, of uh, you know, humanity. And he says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the earth. And uh, that's claiming the attributes of divinity. And there's other verses like this that show both sides, but those will, those will suffice. So the one person said, I am thirsty. I will be with you always. The I is the one person. So we perceive the death of Christ through the person, and the person died on the cross. And therefore, the sacrifice has divine value. 
So this is basic biblical theology. A lot of people don't know it, but it is basic. And it deals with the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ in the one person, and the communication of the properties, or the communicatio idiomatum, which deals with the relationship of the attributes of both natures that are ascribed to the single person. All right, so Jesus speaks as a single person. Now, a little bit more theology is dithelitism, and that's the teaching that each nature of Christ has a will. The Word became flesh, and a human uh, nature, by definition, has to have a will. Die means to, thileo means to will, and dithelitism means that Jesus, each nature, has a will. However, the two wills are ascribed into the single person, and we perceive Jesus as the single person because that's how it works. We don't know how it works, we just know that it does. So this is the revelation of Scripture. So we have what's called the hypostatic union, the communicatio idiomatum, and dithelitism. These are all interrelated doctrines. Now, if oneness is true, and Jesus has two natures, they hold to dithelitism, but they hold to Nestorianism. Nestorianism is the teaching that in the single body of Christ are two, uh, two persons, a divine person and a human person. So I've actually run this by uh, some oneness people. I've said uh, varying verses where Jesus speaks in John 6, for example. And in John 6, 37, I've run this by them. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And I say, who's the me? Is it the divine nature or the human nature? And they'll say to me, well, that's the human nature. Because Jesus is the Father, so it can't be the divine nature speaking to the speaking. It has to be the human nature. All that the Father gives me, that means the divine nature is giving to the human nature, will come to me. The one who comes to me, the human nature, I will not cast out. I have come down from heaven. Who's the I? Now, that's the divine nature. So the divine nature says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. But what will is that? That's the human nature. Because the human nature is different than the divine nature, because they're different natures. So I, the, the uh, divine uh, nature, came down from heaven, because obviously it can't be the human nature to them, not to do my own will, which is the human nature, but the will of him who sent me. That's himself, who's really the Father. So you can see how ridiculous this becomes. And so you have in one sentence where the two natures are alternating between speaking. And this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's lots of verses like this. I, I'm writing on this. And I think I've read it. I wrote, uh, released an article a couple of months ago about this, where I went through and, and showed the divine nature, human nature, divine nature, human nature. So we have the alternating uh, Jesus uh, person of different nature, alternating uh, nature speaking. It's sometimes in the same sentence. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. That's I, the divine uh, person, the nature, came down from heaven not to do my own fleshly will, but the will, which is really myself, of the one who's me up in heaven who sent me, who's on earth the, the human nature. This is John six thirty eight. So we have the human na divine natures alternating back and forth. This is ridiculous. This is what the oneness must do in order to be consistent with their theology. Now, 
when we get to the issue of the atoning work, and when Jesus is in the garden, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Now you have to say that the my will is the human will, speaking about the divine uh, will. Now what they are forced to conclude is that Jesus is two persons. There's a divine person and a human person, and they speak to each other. But which nature died on the cross? Only the human nature. But that's a problem for them because it makes the sacrifice of no value because it's not divine. But then they'll say, no, the Father was in the Son. What does that mean? It's not an incarnation. Because God can be in you, John 14, 23. The Father and I will come, come and make our abode in you. It doesn't mean that we're incarnate, God incarnates in us. No, it means we're indwelt, and that's different than in, incarnation. So they don't realize what they're doing, ultimately, is denying the incarnation by affirming the Nestorian heresy, and then they cannot define, or excuse me, defend the sufficiency of the divine aspect of the, human, of the sacrifice on the cross, because only the human nature died, and since they don't attribute the two natures, the properties of both natures to the one person, the communicatio idiomatum, then they don't have a divine sacrifice, and it's all bad for them, okay? Wow, okay. I never, I never, I never heard you explained it so well. Wow, wow, that's 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 crazy. Yeah, in fact, uh, David Bernard, he's the number one oneness guy. We're actually in email contact with each other, and we have agreed to do a written discussion on uh, Trinitarianism and oneness. And so, uh, I have to recontact him because I'm busy. He's busy. But we're going to set the parameters up like 500 word max per thing, maybe five, uh, you know, letters or responses back and forth because it'll go on forever, you know. And if he wants to do that, and I'm going to suggest that, and we'll see. But he's a oneness guy, and these are some of the things that I'm going to uh, ask. This is a serious issue. This is why oneness does not work. And there's other issues related to the problems of, of oneness, dealing with the one and the many, or universals in particulars, and which is ultimate in reality. You only have three options. Unity, or universals, are ultimate, from which all things derive, the, the universe and reality matter. Or plurality, or the individual uh, manifestations of things, like uh, one, one thing might be a chair, the concept of chair, and then chairs, different chairs, are particular manifestations of the idea of chair. Well, which one is the ultimate nature of reality? Is it the concept of, of the one, or the concept of the many, or is it both? Oneness fails to be able to answer along with Islam and some other stuff. We're out of time, I can't get into it. Okay, buddy? Hope that helps. All right, thank you. All right, we'll be talking about this kind of stuff on, on our seminar tonight, too. Hey, everybody, three open lines, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, welcome to the show. I just want to let you know um, that we're having that seminar tonight if you want to join us. 
Uh, you can sign up. Just go to patreon.com forward slash, uh, forward slash carmorg, C-A-R-M-O-R-G. And the, uh, everything should work out. If it doesn't, for some reason, you sign up and it doesn't work out, just let us know, email us. But it should work out. We're doing this new. And so there's sometimes, you know, these bugs we don't know about. But, uh, it would help us out. It would help support the ministry. And, uh, we really do appreciate it. Let's get on the air with, uh, Frank from Utah. Frank, welcome. You're on the air. Hello. Uh, I have a question concerning, uh, Luke 2343, um, with the thief on the cross. And as far as my upbringing, I, Christian, and I always believe that it's salvation through faith uh, alone. And uh, I was having conversations with a, a Roman Catholic, and I gave the thief on the cross as an example of salvation through faith alone, because the thief had faith. But my question is, where did the thief go, and what did paradise mean when Jesus told him that he'd be with him in paradise? Is right. it the paradise we know now when we die, or a place of comfort? In uh, Luke twenty three forty three, uh, he says, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." Now, paradise is also spoken of in Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one, and uh, so it's it's mentioned there, and they call it paradise, even though the word isn't there. But uh, one of the views is that when a person died before Christ was crucified, when a person died, he went to Abraham's bosom, which is also called paradise. And the, uh, the person was in a good place there. Now, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, paradise is used in Second Corinthians 12, uh, 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. That's the dwelling place of God, the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. So it looks like paradise there is equated with the very uh, presence of heaven. So when we go back to Luke uh, 23... Okay. You get a, a Luke twenty three forty three that it says today you'll be between the paradise. It looks like what's happening is that since the blood of Christ is shed, and since he died uh, first, then he died. Then the door was open for people to go to to heaven, paradise. Maybe you can mute yourself. You can mute yourself, okay? Because it's pretty loud. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll mute you. Okay, um, I got you muted until we're done here. Hope you can still hear me. And so it looks like uh, he went, uh, you know, he, then as it says in Ephesians 4, roughly 8 through 12, it talks about him leading captive a host of captives as he set it on high. So the general theory is that no one could go to heaven. heaven excuse me, I had a cough there. No one could go to heaven because Jesus had not yet been crucified. Once he's crucified, then they could go. And he says, you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is equated by Paul with the third heaven, which is the willing place of God, in Second Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. So, and we go to Ephesians 4, it looks like he led captive a host of captives. It looks like he went to the old holding place called paradise, or Abraham's bosom more properly, 
and then proclaim the gospel to them, not preach it so that they could be saved, because they were already justified by faith, as was uh, Abraham in uh, Romans 4, 1 through 5. And so then he led them up into heaven, and then later, three days later, re-entered the body and, and uh, uh, rose from the dead. So this is what it looks like he's referring to in Luke twenty-three forty-three. Today, uh, you'll be with me in paradise. I hope that helps and explains it. Uh, you're back on the air. Did that help? Yes, that does help. And, and that was my thought process, but I wasn't sure if I would physically sound because I know uh, Jesus had not uh, died yet. There you go. Yeah, thank you for but that remember, explanation. He died first, so uh, the, it looks like uh, he died before the th a thief. Here's, the reason uh, is important, because some people... Oh, how's it go? Let's see. The argument is... Um, the argument is... Oh, what was it? There's an argument that he died under the old covenant. Jesus, uh, the rich man. I, I forgot the argument is. I was hoping it would come back to me. And uh, the actual temporality of. Okay, I think it was that. Oh, I hope I can explain this right. I've had Roman Catholics and others tell me that uh, the thief died uh, first. Uh, no, that. Oh, I'm trying to remember this that they had to do good works in order to be saved because they're all under the old covenant it was not justification by faith alone and that's what that's what the issue of the thief is referring to that he died and under the old law he had to do good stuff and it says no when jesus died first the new covenant was in effect and jesus proclaimed in the old covenant before he died that he'll be with them and that's in reference to the new covenant so jesus proclaimed it this is a little technicality. Jesus was still alive, and so the Old Covenant was still in effect. We know that because in Hebrews 8.13 and Hebrews 9.15-16, the New Covenant's not in, uh, uh, invoked or ratified until the death of Christ. So in the Old Covenant, Jesus says, you'll be with me, and then in the uh, he died, and then it was the New Covenant, and that's what he's referring to. So he died without having to do anything in, in the New Covenant. So, okay? I don't know if that helps any. I, I should, I, one point of clarification. Who, who died first, the thief or Jesus? Or Jesus? Jesus did. Jesus died first. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Yeah, because they went to break the legs of the uh, of, of the guys on the cross, but when they went to Christ to break his legs, he was already gone. And they broke the legs, and the reason they would break the legs is because in crucifixion, Imagine they didn't put the nails in the palms; they put them in the wrist, uh, because otherwise they, they wouldn't stay up on the cross. So they they pierced him through the. There's a, a nerve right between the two bones in the wrist area, and they, they wasn't the hand; it was the wrist. In the Jewish uh, culture, the wrist was part of the hand, and so if it stretched out a lot, this is how they did it, and then they lifted him up. In order for uh, the person on the cross to breathe, because their arms were so stretched out and because they were in such bad shape, they couldn't breathe uh, very well at all, they would push up on their feet. And they would push up on the nail that was going through both feet. So it was ex it's excruciatingly bad. In order to breathe, you had to do that. And Jesus' back had been whipped, ripped open by the cat of nine tails, bleeding and raw so he would have to rub his back up against the cross while he's pressing on the nails on his feet so he could breathe and this is what they would do for hours and hours 
because Jesus had already been beaten so severely that he died first. And then they went to break his legs because then you can't push up to breathe anymore. That's why they would break their legs. Okay. Understand. Okay. Thank you very much, and I appreciate what you do uh, on the radio. All right, man. God bless. Okay. God bless. All right. We've got a poster. There's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's in the uh, chat room. I'm going to address him for a minute, then we'll get to Rudolph from Raleigh, North Carolina, on Catholicism. Uh, in in Islam, in Surah 4, 171, uh, Allah uh, is a deceiver. And we know that because he says, uh, uh, oh, it's, it's 174, oh, where is it? I'm going to find it. It's uh, 157, I think it is. Yeah, 157. Um, yes, uh, that's right, 157. We killed Christ Jesus. Don't say that. They killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. They killed him not nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. So it was somewhat, according to the Quran, what the Hadith says, and the, the Tasfir said, I hope this guy's listening to this in here, what it is, they say that Allah is the one who made someone else look like Jesus in order for that person to be crucified and Jesus was not crucified. That means Allah, by his own hand, deceived people, specifically by his direct action and direct hand of making someone look like, like Jesus. So Allah is responsible for the arrival and the dissemination of Christianity according to the prophecies of the Old Testament that Jesus would be crucified, Psalm 22, and rise from the dead, Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16. They would not see corruption. So Allah has deceived people in the Quran to make it look like Jesus was crucified when he was not. Allah is a deceiver, and, uh, and Muhammad's a false prophet. Surah 4, 157. Let's get to Rudolph from Raleigh, North Carolina. Rudolph, thanks for the long wait. I think we've got to break any second no here, but go ahead. All right. Um, yes. Uh, what's the difference between Roman Catholic and Catholic? Catholic means universal. Roman Catholic has, over the history, come to mean the Roman Catholic Church. But Catholic just is, the Catholic Church means the universal church. But because we say Roman Catholic, now we say Catholic as, as Roman Catholic. Hold on, okay? We've got a break coming up. We'll be right back. Four open lines, folks. Give me a call. 877-207-2276. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, and welcome back to the show. Four open lines, why don't you give me a call, 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. Let's get back on with Rudolph from Raleigh, North Carolina. Rudolph, welcome. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Um, you were answering about Roman Catholicism versus Catholicism. Yes. It was just a, like I said, the word Catholic means universal, which is why the early creeds say, said the Catholic Church. But we understand it, normatively speaking now, to mean the Roman Catholic Church. So that's why we don't say Catholic Church anymore, because it could be misunderstood to mean the Roman Catholic Church, which is apostate. It's a false church, because it teaches works, salvation, Mary worship, idolatry. Uh, you know, it's just it's full of... Uh, false teachings okay 
so the Roman Catholic is the Catholic is okay, Lord. The Roman Catholic is okay, but the Catholic is not. No, the term Catholic simply means universal. So the there's a universal church or the Catholic Church. That's how it was used originally. But because the Roman Catholic Church, we call it now, they the uh, the term Catholic Church became used a lot and became associated with what we call the Catholic Church as a as an organization with the Pope. But if ri- originally the term the word Catholic just meant universal, and through centuries oh. they would say the Universal Church. Well, the, it's the same thing as the word Catholic. So they say the universal church, the universal church. It's like, what if they use that term all the time? They, you know, and then now we'd say the universal church has the Pope. It's the Catholic, uh, you know, it, it, that's all it is. It's just the commonality and, and the use of the term became associated with the idea of the Roman Catholic. That's why uh, people who are in the know will say the Roman Catholic Church. But we don't really need to say that much okay. anymore because we we get it when we say Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church is not a, a true uh, Christian church. Okay, okay, it is not. All right, thank you. God bless. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. God bless. All right, folks. So we have nobody waiting. If you want to give me a call, all you have to do is dial eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six and um. I'm just letting you know that tonight, in about an hour and ten minutes, we're going to have a seminar. What we're doing here, let me just explain what, what's going on with CARM. A lot of people have seminars and stuff, and what we want to do is help fund this ministry. We have to fund it, because if we don't, uh, the radio goes away and uh, the ministry goes away. Just how it works. Well, one of the things we want to do also is to have scholars and have experts in varying fields where we get together and interview them and discuss a topic. And what we're doing tonight is that very thing with some experts. And I'm telling you, these are experts. Uh, uh, Vern Poitras and Brent uh, Bosserman. These guys, these two guys, they really know uh, the Doctor of the Trinity a, a lot. Eli Ayala is a friend of mine. I've known him for, for years. And he's one of the few guys that I can talk to who uh, I can ask questions about. Now, what about this issue right here? Because he's a lot more studied on philosophy than I am. And I'll ask him questions, and he'll he'll help me out. And then we discuss theology together. And, and you know, he's, um, he's uh, you know, learned a lot from Karm and, and stuff like that. And so... Uh, and Eli's going to be in there, and he knows the Trinity well. He teaches theology, he does apologetics. One of the goals that we had at CARM was to hire him as, uh, as, as an employee here at CARM, and we just don't have enough money to pay him. And uh, we've already got Luke Wayne, who's great. Luke's a great guy. And I need to support, we need to talk about him again. You know, he's a good guy. We should have him on, and just as a guest, even though he does the show, I should have him on sometime. We could talk about, uh, about him and, and embarrass him and stuff like that. I think we should do that. We also got to get uh, Dave uh, Brito from Brazil uh, to call in, and then um, we have uh, our, our our African guys, our Turkish guy. Anyway, so tonight we're going to be having this uh, seminar, but it's uh, in order to view it, it's going to cost ten dollars. And what we're doing is we're splitting the 
the proceeds to the speakers as well as to the ministry of CARM. That way, everybody wins. You win. You get to hear some real experts. And CARM wins, and they win. And it's one of the ways that Christians can help support the furthering of the gospel, the teaching of the gospel. And then what we're going to do is probably after two or three months, we'll take this seminar and we'll just release it publicly. But if you want to see it live, you want to participate and ask questions, then now's the time to do that. And one of the ways to do that is to go to um, to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash karmorg, C-A-R-M-O-R-G. And we set it up today. I set it up today, uh, created the Karmorg Patreon account, and put in the tiers. We have a $5 one. That's just general support, and you don't get to watch the video. Uh, tonight, but ten dollars gets gets access to that, and that's how it's supposed to work. So I'm telling you this because if it doesn't, <laughs> then it's my fault. And you can just write to me, and we'll work out. Uh, you know, to get your money back if it doesn't work out right or whatever it is. But it should work out. Uh, we're hoping. And so Luke has been working very hard on his end, doing stuff with Zoom, and he'll be behind the scenes tonight while I interview these three gentlemen, and we're going to be on for two hours. We're probably going to do an hour and a half of uh, discussion and then Q&A after that. So we've got a lot going on, and we want to do this once a month, and uh, maybe twice a month, but once a month for sure, and varying topics like the Trinity, or what's a Christian worldview, or the extent of the work of Christ on the cross, or uh, what is the what are the varying views of salvation. We can do stuff on Islam. I've got Muslim experts who speak Arabic who would be glad to come on and discuss the issue of um, of Islam from and stuff. These guys since lunch today have forgotten more than I've ever learned about Islam. These guys are fantastic and I know several of them and uh, they can teach on that as well. We've got all kinds of stuff. So we're trying to really provide a service for the body of Christ. Let's get to Carl from North Carolina. Carl, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, Matt. I got a question. I think it's uh, it's in uh, uh, John. I'm not sure if it's in uh, chapter 15, but it has to do with Jesus talking about uh, little g gods, where he mentions that and talks about uh, bringing back in the Old Testament. I think it's yeah. referring 10, to Judges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John 10.34 is referring back to Psalm 82, verse 6. Yep. Has it not been written in your law? I said, ye are gods. Okay. So when he's talking about those gods, what's he referring to in that sense? What he's doing is mocking them. And uh, let me explain. He's mocking them. He's condemning them. So let's go to Psalm 82. The Mormons use this, and they misuse it terribly. So Psalm 82 is only eight verses, and it's an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm is a psalm of condemnation and judgment. So I'm going to read the whole thing. It'll take me a minute, and then you'll get the context of what's going on. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? This is a psalm that's written about the unrighteous judges and the wicked people. Okay, Verse 3, Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, 
You are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. That's an imprecatory psalm, because in it, it says, Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. It's a condemnation and judgment. And the context is the unrighteous judges of Israel. The Pharisees were like the unrighteous judges. So what Jesus was doing was quoting this to them because in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. They want to kill him. They picked up stones again to throw at him. And he said, many good works in the Father I've shown you. For which of these are you stoning me? And the Jews said, well, not for good work because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Now they're, they're claiming he's claiming to be God, which is true, but they deny that he's God. And Jesus, he, he's smart. Has it not been written in your law? I said ye are gods. So what he's doing, he's saying, you're calling, saying that I'm wrong for calling me God, but the Bible says your guys are gods. And he says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I'm the son of God? So he's really smart. And what he's doing is using the scriptures against them and while at the same time calling them unrighteous judges, because they know the context. I said, you are gods. They know it's Psalm 82, 6. It's, it's an imprecation. He says, you're saying this. Now, the, God is condemning the unrighteous judges. And yet, it says you're gods. Now, in what sense are they gods? Not like Mormons teach you can become gods. No, they have power of life and death. And they're unrighteous, which is why it says in the psalm, vindicate the, the weak and the fatherless. Take care of them. You're not doing it. And then he says, so why are you complaining? If I say I'm the son of God, and the Bible says you're God's, what's the problem here? They don't want to tackle him any further. Therefore, they're seeking again to seize him, but he eluded their, their grasp. They want to kill him. He's upsetting them a lot. This is who Jesus was. But he's not the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Caucasian surfer dude dressed in a woman's nightgown who only says nice things. He actually is condemning them and mocking them at the same time. Okay? Okay. Hey, um, you brought up with the Mormons. I assume when you're talking about that with God, and, I, I, you know, I grew up out west, too, so uh, I believe the Mormons think that when they get to heaven, they're made into God. But I don't think they believe they're God now, but when they get to heaven, they are... Uh, process they are God's uh, that's what I'm kind of. understanding only okay. if they keep only if they keep celestial law then they have the potential of becoming gods by uh, by ascending into the third heaven celestial heaven and then inside of that are three levels and the highest is the church of the firstborn and in that is where they shake hands with God through a veil and they um, get the, the hugs but they learn these things in the temple. The reason that Mormons have the temples is to learn the secret things and be sealed to your wife or your husband for time and eternity so you can stay families in heaven and you know maybe become a god and produce your own uh, planet with offspring that you have relations with your spouse with that produce uh, spirit babies in heaven. That's what goes on in the temple, among other things, with the apron, which is, oh my goodness, if you know, the context of the apron which is the same apron, same pattern of apron that Satan wears, but that's another thing. And so that's what's going on there. And so only if they keep celestial law, and I know of no Mormon who's ever kept celestial law. Okay? 
Yeah, I, I, do, do you understand anything about the undergarments that they wear? Is that yes. kind of what you were talking about? With or stuff? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah, the, well, mm-hmm. keep up the good work out there, Matt. I appreciate your uh, ministry. Well, thank you very much. Well, God bless, Carl. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're at the end of the hour. Uh, in one hour, we're going to have a seminar on the Trinity, how it explains everything. If you're curious about it, you go to Facebook on CARM.org. The link and the information should be there. And you can also go to Patreon.com forward slash CARM.org. It should be there as well. If you have any questions, just email us at info at CARM.org. We'll send you the information. God bless everybody. We'll talk to you later. Have a great evening. Another program powered by the Truth Network.